the improvement of the relations between uh, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain with Israel, for example, create investment opportunities in different sectors such as defense, tourism and energy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Trade Talk, the podcast designed to help get your business growing with confidence. As one of the few parts of the world that is still growing economically, the Gulf states are in a class of their own. To talk about business opportunities and risks in these countries where nothing seems impossible, I am joined today by two regional experts. Seltem Yigun, you are a Kofas economist and Middle Eastern Turkey specialist. Welcome with us today. Hi, Ingrid. Thank you so much for having me. Asen Beno, you are CEO at Kofas of Middle East and South Africa. Hello. Welcome here. Hello, Ingrid. So when we think of the Persian Gulf countries, of course, we immediately have in mind the wealth they have um, coming from the oil. So Seltem, could you tell us a little bit more about this asset? And of course, also about the dependence that it creates for those countries. Uh, well, these countries have become uh, rich quickly after they found actually this uh, resource, which is oil. But, but we can see that the enrichment and the operating margins are not uniform among those countries. So we significantly uh, see actually after the drop in oil prices in 2015, these countries have increased their efforts to diversify their economies. Uh, so uh, we saw that the share of hydrocarbon in the GDP has declined by around four to five percentage points in their GDP levels. However, uh, it still accounts for uh, around 40% of the GDP for uh, Saudi Arabia, Oman, and Qatar. Uh, for the United Arab Emirates, which is the most diversified economy of the region, it represents around 30% of the GDP. However, this is not the only indicator that we are looking at because it still represents a very high uh, share in the export revenues and fiscal revenues of the region. For example, um, in terms of um, export revenues, uh, the hydrocarbon sector uh, represents around 90% for Kuwait and Qatar in terms of total merchandise exports. And let's say around 70% of fiscal revenues for Saudi Arabia and Bahrain come from oil sales. How are these countries organizing themselves for the post-oil era? How are they going to transition? They are trying to invest in different sectors, like, for example, in terms of energy sector, they are trying to develop their infrastructures uh, related to the wind and solar energy types. And also we see that there are trying to develop the other sectors such as finance, tourism and construction. And we see that Saudi Arabia, for example, is very uh, involved in setting up diversification plans to, for example, they are building up new cities and to diversify its economy and finances as as a part of their Vision 2030 reform plan. So the government still wants to raise billions of reals over the next few years by privatization of its public assets. Um, so the United Arab Emirates also allow foreigners to acquire companies without needing a local partner anymore. Uh, so the 
key issue here is to attract the highest level of foreign investment possible. However, still, the funding of this economic diversification, uh, I mean, the investments, uh, the financing of the investments made in other sectors is made through oil income. And are some of them more advanced than others in this Wilfer transition? Well, I would mention Dubai, of course, which is a business hub for expatriates and also the financial and re-export center uh, of the region, uh, specifically through its strategic uh, port, uh, Jebel Ali. Uh, Saudi Arabia is also, as we just mentioned, is trying to set up technology-based cities and trying to make partnerships with Western private companies. Well, in August, they announced a new tourism law and they are trying to actually increase the tourism inflows as well. Of course, we can talk about Qatar here because we can see that the country's prestige is supported by the organization of the World Cup this year, but they will also organize the Asian Football Cup and the World Horticultural Expo in 2023, which will support tourism flows. So the economic authorities will continue to implement the Vision 3020 diversification plan, which would support private sector investments as well. So these are the countries that are most, they are, we can say, made more progress, I would say, than the others. As then from a business perspective, what are the region's other draws? I would stress the importance of the fiscal surpluses posted by Gulf economies. This is key. Indeed, government spending and investment are flowing throughout the entire economic fabric in the region. Gulf state governments use these surpluses to maintain a stable social climate. Local populations benefit from national preference policies, which translate into specific measures in areas such as access to employment, education and healthcare, as well as property ownership. The surpluses also make it possible to keep inflation relatively restrained compared with what we're seeing in other countries right now. The Gulf oil monarchies also share their wealth with them less well-endowed neighbors. In the Gulf specifically, Oman and Bahrain have traditionally received support. In the, in the wider area, Egypt is also a beneficiary, with some $22 billion earmarked this year to help the country get through the tough situation that it finds itself in right now. All of this helps to stabilize the region politically and socially, which in turn is obviously good for trade. If I were to single out thriving sectors, you obviously have construction, as Seltem mentioned, with projects in infrastructure and residential or commercial real estate. Finance is another flourishing sector. Banks in the Gulf states have a long track record of comfortable margins and solvency levels are good in the region. 
Meanwhile, outside the traditionally strong sectors, we are seeing a real diversification stemming from a push to get away from consumer-led import economies and encourage economies that are more focused on production and exports. So we talked about um, this uh, wheel of uh, diversification. What sectors are benefiting from it? Tourism is enjoying strong momentum and um, the region offers an extensive range of hotels. I would also mention entertainment, sporting and cultural events and business tourism. Destination-wise, everyone thinks of the United Arab Emirates and Dubai, which has been locked in as one of the top five most visited cities in the world for some years now. More recently, though, Saudi Arabia has embarked on several major tourism development projects. In terms of the actual economic impact, tens of thousands of hotel rooms are currently being built, creating opportunities for hotel companies. New airports are under construction, and existing ones are being extended. Airlines are obviously benefiting from this, including well-known names such as Etihad, Emirates and Qatar Airways. Recently, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund announced the creation of a new Saudi Arabian national airline, which is reportedly going to be backed by investment of $30 billion. The healthcare sector is also doing well. Some of us may remember the days of Gulf residents traveling abroad to receive health care, heading for treatment to the United States, France and Germany, for example. But that ended in the early 2000s. Since then, the region has built an outstanding healthcare infrastructure, financed largely by government money, but also by private backers, including private equity funds. National champions play a key role. I think of Saudi oil giant Aramco, which is regularly named as the world's largest company by market cap, revenue or earnings, and Etisalat, the Emirati telco that is present throughout the Middle East and Africa and boasts over 150 million subscribers. I could name lots of others. For me, the common denominator shared by all these national champions is how they have expanded internationally, reaching beyond their domestic markets. They are now real multinationals that operate according to international governance standards, and they lie at the heart of fully formed, virtuous ecosystems. For instance, they are major consumers of tech services and are also important job providers. We hear a lot about a um, workforce in the Gulf. We know that uh, the Gulf states have long relied on expats. What is the situation today? Is it still going on? Are they developing um, skills, you know, locally? Historically, there was a gap in education levels between the elite and and the wider populations in Gulf states, which led to a dearth of local talent and um, ultimately fairly heavy reliance on expatriate labor. Huge investments have been made in education, not just in primary and secondary schooling, but also at the university level, including through partnerships between local universities and uh, prestigious North American and um, European schools. 
I would also highlight the role of women in Saudi labor market trends. This is a dynamic population that is lifting the whole education system upwards. For some years now, Saudi universities have seen more female graduates than male ones compared with the US as a whole, and uh, Silicon Valley in particular, women in Saudi Arabia actually hold a higher percentage of tech jobs. These points illustrate the vibrant labor market, the renewal that is taking place, and um, the quality of the human resources and talent available in the Middle East region. Sultan, the Gulf countries have also shaped their tax policies to attract business, thanks to the oil wealth, of course. Are these uh, enterprise-friendly policies really sustainable in time? Well, um, the Gulf governments used to give a lot of tax incentives to companies, as you said, but also to households as well. But we see that the progressive reduction of these incentives, there are still reforms to be made, however, such as the fact that public sector salaries are still uh, high compared with the private sector without producing a higher level of service quality. Uh, most countries have gradually implemented reductions in energy subsidies and in recent years uh, raising the prices of electricity, gas line and other fuels uh, sold on the domestic market. And the desire here of the governments is for private companies to be self-sufficient, financially independent and free of subsidies. So these reforms are expected to continue, which means that there may be fewer tax subsidies to come in the upcoming period. You mentioned earlier the desire of the Gulf countries to diversify their economies. Can it be done um, by increasing relationship with other regions? Is there a competition between Gulf states to establish, I don't know, maybe the best partnerships with Asia, Europe, the US? Well, we can talk about um, competition uh, within and outside of the GCC region. The key and principal, I would say, relation of uh, among them is the relation that has been set up with China, which has become increasingly involved with the Gulf countries and has become their largest customer in terms of energy imports. So this is a reciprocal uh, relationship now uh, as it is diversifying and China has become an important partner uh, for the GCC states in different areas such as infrastructure investments, uh, trade in goods and services and digital technology and defense. And on the other hand, uh, we see that volatile oil prices and the drive for economic diversification are also fueling intra-GCC competition. And on the other hand, changing geopolitical situation also weigh on the situation, on the current situation of the relationships. For example, now Qatar has the opportunity actually to sell a higher share of its uh, natural gas to Europe, which allows the country to develop its relation and ties with this region after the situation between uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia has emerged. Hassan, you meet a lot of companies in your work, a lot of companies in the, in the Gulf. Um, what are they talking to you about? What are the specific issues they have right now? Of course, I'm thinking that a 
lot is going on. There is the Soccer World Cup in Qatar right now. Definitely. Um, we are heading into the region's biggest tourism season, uh, which means higher levels of business activity, especially in retail, uh, leisure and tourism. And the, the year-end holidays are just around the corner with their annual round of festivals. These higher levels will likely remain in place all the way through to the Ramadan season, which gets underway in late March 2023, driving big increases for companies. Reflecting this trend, our customers are asking for our support to cope with the seasonal surplus. They want us to raise credit limits. This high level of activity is um, exacerbated by global inflation, which is pushing up the price of some materials and inputs. The recession that is taking shape in Europe will inevitably impact business in the companies that we monitor. This is what we are anticipating from the second quarter of 2023 onwards, when we forecast activity to cool. When we dialogue with our customers, we are already seeing that those that have a specific exposure to the European market are extremely cautious on revenue forecasts for 2023. We have spoken a lot about the wealth opportunities um, in the Gulf states. Of course, we need to talk also about risks. What are the risks for doing business right now? As I said, the Gulf is not immune to the complex environment that is uh, taking shape. I touched on the prospects of a European recession. But there is also uncertainty over China, which accounts for 8% of exports from Gulf Cooperation Council, GCC, countries. The GCC economies, which are deeply globalized and connected to the rest of the world, are therefore concerned about the scale of this crisis and uh, the extent to which it might be imported to local economies. There are also structural risks, such as the volatility on the diplomatic or political front, although relations in the region are fairly peaceful right now. Political risks may increase. Um, Seltem, what is the outlook for COFAS? What are the economic consequences that those political risks could have for the region? Well, um, in these countries, we see generally a political stability, but ongoing reforms, such as the reduction of uh, subsidies, etc., may uh, accentuate social tensions. Uh, on the other hand, However, the improvement uh, of the relations in, let's say, between uh, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain with Israel, for example, create investment opportunities in different sectors such as defense, tourism and energy. And also the end of the boycott of Qatar after three years, which had been imposed by Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Bahrain and the Arab Emirates, so it ended last year uh, in 2021, uh, has also helped to reduce political tensions in the region. However, there can always uh, some uh, social tension risks related to the introduction of these uh, new reforms. Let's extend our scope a little bit in the Middle East. You talked about Israel. It's true. It's an economy growing as well in the region. Could you tell us maybe a little bit more about this country? 
Well, um, Israel actually is a small economy. However, its economy is highly diversified, resilient, and very well integrated uh, with international trade. One third of its GDP uh, comes from exports. They are very strong and competitive in technology and pharmaceutical sectors. However, they can sometimes they face uh, geopolitical problems. There is a shortage of workers in some key sectors like manufacturing and high technology. And there is also some political instability as there is an increased number of elections. However, this doesn't present a key risk for the fiscal stability for the country. Asen, my last question is for you. What advice could you give to a company um, looking to doing business in the Gulf right now? I believe the first thing to do is to dispel some of the received ideas about the region. The best way to do that is to come and see for yourself. You have to take the time to learn about these countries and get a feel for the regional markets. For this, once again, you need to come to the region to get an informed opinion and a better understanding of the ecosystem and the economic environment. Something else that um, I would stress is the value added offered by local partnerships. Many local family groups have built up their business over time in the region and uh, could provide a bridge for companies, helping them to establish bases and facilitating their growth over the long run. Another point to pay attention to is the credit risk environment. Making sure that bills are paid continues to be a major issue for anyone as entrepreneurs, uh, Business executives and, and CFOs based in the region can testify. Although macroeconomic conditions remain positive and supportive, COFACE's country risk assessments reflect this specific issue, which is partly cultural and uh, partly operational. Challenges thus remain in terms of securing invoice payments and getting financial intelligence on counterparties and uh, assessing their solvency. Many thanks, Seltem and Asen, for sharing your insights um, into this fascinating region where a lot is going on right now. Merci, Ingrid. Thank you so much, Ingrid. That was Ingrid Labuzon, journalist for COFAS. Please tune into our next podcast and in the meantime, head over to COFAS.com for all of COFAS's country and sector risk analysis.